I feel like I'm starting to say this on a weekly basis, but what a wild weekend in the Ontario Hockey League as we welcome you back to another episode of the OHL podcast. I'm Mike Farwell. Find me on Twitter at Farwell underscore OHL. And that over there is Dan Mahar. Find him on Twitter at Tim Wallach, just like the former Montreal Expo. And of course, make sure you send us an email anytime, ohlpodcast at rogers.com. That's what Vince did even before this wild weekend got going. And the Niagara Ice Dogs factor into the wild weekend, although not on the best of notes. Vince emailed us, ohlpodcast at rogers.com, Dan, to talk about Ryan Kuabara becoming the new head coach in St. Catharines. So there you go. Outstanding to get the emails. And yeah, that was a first uh, coach of Asian descent in in the OHL. Great. uh, And what a player uh, Kubara was when he was in in the league as well. So I'm looking forward to what he can do there. Yeah. Not a bad pedigree at all. Of course, a former Ottawa 67. And we will talk more about the Niagara Ice Dogs later in this episode. Also, Goalie fights, because everybody loves a good goalie fight. But I thought we would be remiss if we didn't start with, on on a much more serious note, uh, the loss of a true builder uh, in this game and somebody that was described, and I think accurately so, as an icon in the scenic city that is Owen Sound. We lost Ray McKelvey this week at the age of 87, losing a battle to cancer. Yeah, and I think uh, builder is a great word. And I never had the pleasure of beating Mr. McKelvey, although I feel like I have through all the anecdotes I hear from people around the league, what a gentleman he was. But I think uh, first and foremost, as a fan of the league and on an OHL podcast, we have to point out that this is exactly the type of gentleman you want affiliated with your team. He has fought for that community of Owen Sound time and again. Uh, You could easily say that's the reason they have a team and the reason they still have a team. Uh, the type of person you want in the league. So um, condolences to the McKelvey family. You nailed both, I think, of the most important parts in all of this, certainly when you're listening to something called the OHL podcast. But there's no question that Ray McKelvey got major junior hockey to Owen Sound and then kept it there when there was an ownership change. There is zero doubt about that. And it's not exaggerating to say that Major junior hockey would not exist in Owen Sound without the efforts of Ray McKelvey and his continued efforts right up until the end. He was still associated with that organization and not just by name. It wasn't just a token title. And, you know, because Ray was who he was, he remained associated in name only. He was there. And I'm I'm so grateful that we had an opportunity to pay a visit to the Bay Shore already this season. So I got to have my game day conversation with Ray over the years, I'll tell you what, the, the better I got to know him, the more I got to like him, the more I admired him. He had this way of reminding me that I came from the big city of Kitchener and the Kitchener Rangers have all these resources. No, oh, wouldn't it be nice to have this and have that? And when when I first started having these conversations with Ray, that was a little bit off putting because, you know, he's he's a presence first and foremost. But I'm like, OK, hang on a second here. Like, what do, what did I do to deserve these shots? But that was just <laughs> Ray's way of having, I think, a little bit of fun and and reminding me. And he's not wrong. Obviously, it's the smallest market in the league, but it's the little organization that could. And, and we had some great chats and his memory of like he would take the little digs at me. For like me, as if I had something to do with it. But you remember that time when Steve Spot was your coach and you came in here and did this or that? And anyway, it was it was just great. So I made sure I had at least a moment for an audience with Ray before every Rangers attack game. And I was glad to have had that opportunity already 
earlier this year before we lost him. And there are ties, of course, around the league. Mark McKelvey is a, a good friend on the broadcast side. That's Ray's grandson. And Sean McKelvey, Ray's son, was a former president of the Kitchener Rangers Board of Directors. So the McKelvey roots run deep through this league. But in Owen Sound, certainly they they feel the loss most acutely. But the entire league is a little bit lesser. Uh, it's a little bit less bright without Ray McKelvey in it. That is for sure. Yeah, well said, Mike. Great, uh, great anecdotes. And I think uh, you look at that family, that strong family presence that the McKelvey's had in hockey in the OHL and particularly in Owen Sound. And I think uh, an accountant by trade, which probably served him well in Owen Sound, which is a community where you might have to stretch the dollars a little further to compete with the big cities. Huh? So, so yeah, what a loss for the league and particularly for the community of Owen Sound. Just a reminder to those that follow in those great footsteps, do not screw this up, Owen Sound. Ray <laughs> McKelvey has paved the way for you. He has made sure the attack stay and stay viable in that city. Do not screw it up, period. You owe that to Ray and his legacy in the scenic city. As we shift our attention from the loss of Ray, boy, oh boy, did did we all get a scare during a North Bay Kingston game in Kingston on the weekend. It was a Saturday night game, I'm pretty sure. Either way, uh, Malik, Friday, Friday. Anyway, Malik McGowan of the Kingston Frontenacs gets his forearm sliced by a skate blade. A couple of things here real quick from my perspective. First of all, where it happened, which was right in front of the bench, allowing the medical attention to be even more immediate than had he been across the ice or down in a corner somewhere, right? So that's that's point number one. Somebody once said to me, though, Dan, quite some time ago, that if you want to have a medical, if you're going to, not if you want to, if you're going to have a medical emergency, have it in a hockey rink. Those training staffs are so underrated. And frankly... Uh, thanks to somebody that we would probably know well here from the city of Kitchener, our own Mr. Hockey, Pat Doherty, who was an Olympic torch flame bearer uh, at one point after he suffered a heart attack, got defibrillators into every hockey arena in this province. That was all Mr. Doherty's doing. So you have all those life-saving pieces of equipment and those really skilled attendants if you're at a game uh, in those training staffs. That's a huge part of why Malik McGowan is already on the road to recovery, has already had successful surgery, and was back at the France game on Sunday, obviously not playing, but there to acknowledge the fans and the training staffs. Yeah, obviously a scary incident. You, you think of the trauma, obviously, to the player himself, first and foremost, but also to his teammates and the opponents that witnessed this, any young kids in the stands. There's there's repercussions that go on from these incidents. and. And you've, you see them once or twice a year, it seems now, where these serious cuts. And we've, we've had a few recently. Evander Kane just sustained one in the NHL. Um, Going to keep him out four to six months, probably kill his season. There's a lot of talk of some new uh, Kevlar-type equipment that could prevent these and the, the players' union and potentially some insurers, again, talking about implementing these types of measures. Because you really, you really hate to see that. And, and you know, I go back to... Uh, uh, previous pod we referenced my my cousin rick had played in the nhl for a number of years and one of the more famous of these incidents you'll ever remember was clinton larchuk having his jugular uh slashed and it was a play where my cousin went into the corner threw the puck out front to a teammate and his teammate slid feet first into larchuk sliced the jugular and clinton larchuk has since uh, written a book about it where he referenced one of his memories of that night one of his few memories was how freaked out my cousin was seeing it and, and i remember him talking about that years later where 
these incidents stay with you. It's, it's a lot of blood. It's not, you, you hate seeing it, but uh, I guess the bottom line in this case is Mr. McGowan appears to be okay on the road to recovery. And we certainly wish him all the best. It's a great reminder of the impacts that go beyond the player himself. And I mentioned earlier uh, training staffs because both the North Bay staff and the Kingston staff worked on Malik McGowan together. I think I need to give some credit to the internet here, believe it or not. And maybe I just wasn't looking hard enough and I'm okay with being the guy that didn't look hard enough. But I saw some comments on Friday that they should have stopped the game because of the severity of the injury and the impact it had on others. But no matter when I Googled the Malik McGowan injury, I haven't seen anything. I've, In fact, I've seen some people talking about it, saying they're deliberately not sharing any video or photo photos because it's that graphic. So good on you. Again, I could probably work harder and find it if I wanted to, but I don't want to. I'm just glad the young man is okay. Yeah. Again, well said. Like I don't, I, I don't think these are the types of things that anyone needs to relive on video. Uh, unless there's uh, some learning to come from it, which I don't think there, there is, you've already highlighted the number of measures that are in place now at ranks to ensure these, these things are dealt with swiftly. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm happy to never see that video. I'm just, just thankful that, that the young man's okay. And, and hopefully the people that witnessed it are as well. So since we did mention that, and, and I want to emphasize, we're all incredibly happy for Malik McGowan. The fact that he was back at the rink on Sunday already to, you know, I think demonstrate to all of us that he is on that road to recovery. It was great to see, but can we have the conversation? You, you just used the word Dan learning. And, and I think there might be talking about Clint Malarchuk and I'm blanking on who it was with Florida that got the blade, the skate blade in the, in the neck, but we have neck guards now, right. That are part of the equipment. We have, we have socks that players can wear to protect their Achilles. It's a cut resistant material. You mentioned Kevlar a moment ago and look, I'm not, I'm not victim blaming or shaming here at all, but let's be honest about it. Malik McGowan was a player, not the only one that liked to keep his sleeves up the forearm a little bit. Not that a hockey sweater in and of itself is going to offer the protection, but he's certainly exposed just because of the way he wears his equipment. Could we perhaps be seeing in the not too distant future and, I would argue if any league is going to do it, it would be this league in the Ontario Hockey League to implement, if not mandatory, at least the option for some kind of cut-resistant undershirt that you could wear beneath your equipment. I or think a sleeve it's, just for your forearm, sorry. 100%. I think it's coming, Mike. And it. So we all know this. This isn't victim-blaming to say that hockey players and athletes in general sometimes need to be protected from themselves. Uh, we saw this with the helmet mandate years ago, the neck guards post Clint Malarchuk, all these things that just make sense. And if, if you let the players choose their own way, often they won't choose what's best for their safety. They'll choose what's best for their comfort, non-ice performance. But uh, as we've seen with these pieces of equipment, once they become standard, for one, you get used to them and they're perfectly fine. And two, everyone's using them. So no one's at a disadvantage. So no one wants to see anyone die on the ice. No one even wants to see anyone lose three or four months of their developmental years like like Malik McGowan is is going to lose right now. So it, it only makes sense. We see the uptick in the, uh, the mouth guard penalties that we were talking about recently. I think it's just a matter of time. with Once the technology and the equipment exists, which we're hearing it does, it's just a matter of time.
Okay. I'm going to be that guy again for half a second longer. Remember when you send your complaints to OHL podcast at rogers.com, it's far well being that guy. Mahar is just the innocent bystander along for the ride. But I thought of this and I, I'm almost reluctant to bring it up, but I'm going to, cause I'm going to be that guy. I thought of this when we had that awful tragedy with the Humboldt Broncos bus. And it just got me thinking, Dan, about all of the bus trips in all of the leagues across all of the country at basically the worst time of year to be on the roads. And I asked myself, cause I, I travel on those buses. Thank you very much. Like it's, it's almost miraculous that we don't hear more stories like that and dare i say when i heard this and again we've seen things in the past this game is played with some of the sharpest steel known to humankind and it's on ice how we don't have more things like this happening i i don't know what it says how skilled the players are and how well balanced they are how good the equipment is but my gosh it just makes me think about that and i'm just being honest about it That's a very good point. I was going to mention that earlier is that you're playing with weapons on your feet and you're doing it at a speed at which you might not be able to control where they go at all times, especially when there's a a collision or a tumble. And we see it happen enough, frankly, um, where you see that blade come up and either slice someone or get dangerously close to it. So it just makes sense to take every step we every step we can to protect these kids. Uh, and, And I think it's coming in this case. All right, let's move on to uh, some of the other wild aspects of this weekend on the ice, in the games that were played. One of them being, you might look at the score, okay, Ottawa beats Peterborough 6-2. Ho-hum, just another win for the Ottawa 67s. But this one, my friend, featured uh, 15 power plays, 8 for one team, 7 for the other, 56 total minutes in penalties, not including the six game misconducts that were assessed, and... Everybody's favorite kind of fight, a goalie fight, as Liam Stutzka of Peterborough and Colin McKenzie of the Ottawa 67 skated to center ice, took off their masks, and went at it. Colin McKenzie and Liam Stutzka are going to go. Stutzka drops McKenzie, but McKenzie got a good right hand in there. This is a new one. You don't see this very often. I have a question. Was it 80s night in Ottawa? It's <laughs> <laughs> curious. Could have been. Maybe taking the theme a little too far. But yeah, are uh, goalie fights not a little bit like mascot fights, Mike? Like, there's something about them. They're just hard to take seriously. Um, and, you know, maybe maybe in the lore of hockey, these guys are want to go going to want to go back and tell their grandkids that they uh, they met at center ice one day and just just had at it and again thankfully no one was hurt uh, sounded to me i didn't see the game live but sounded to me like you you saw some frustrations boil over on peterborough's end which is understandable you're getting you're getting it handed to you by a rival but i think probably the underlying piece here is you're starting to see uh, some heavyweights emerge in the east peterborough certainly expects to be one of them Ottawa is one of them, obviously, and North Bay. And you're going to see those teams starting to to posture and send messages and do what they can. And, you know, Peterborough was ornery and said, you know, we didn't like losing this game. We didn't like how we lost this game. We're, we're making a statement for the next one. And, and what will be interesting is to see how the league deals with it. If they do, they've been swift with punishment recently. Um, and, and, and we'll see what message is sent by the league here. 
I will be stunned if we don't see a message or two at some point this week regarding what happened. Uh, I'm going to let you pick up on the Peterborough point in a moment, but just because you mentioned goalie fights vis-a-vis -vis mascot fights, look, I, I shouldn't be. I know, Dave Branch, I'm sorry. I get excited. I think goalie fights are fun. I know you don't want any fights. I don't want to promote fights. I don't mean to. In fact, when I do broadcasts, I tend not to go blow by blow. I try to take commercials, but goalie fights are awesome. Previous uh, guests on this podcast, Justin Peters and Adam Dennis, if you haven't listened to the episodes, shameless plug, go back and find them. They both talk about their fights. They're great stories. Okay, to your point. Oh, and Tyler Ertl tells a great one about how he started one. It wasn't a goalie fight, but he ran a he ran the goalie in Kitchener when Ertl was with North Bay. Lots of Just go back and catch up on all the old episodes. I think, Dan, you make a, a good point around how and, and maybe even why Peterborough might have been ornery because as some teams in the East in particular, including Peterborough have sort of asserted themselves, Ottawa hasn't yet, at least not by way of trade. They're just rolling right along, mowing everybody down. But if we look at the early returns on the Brennan Othman trade, nine games with Othman, two wins against seven losses for the Peets. Yeah. You know, I know it's early. It's, it's a small sample size, but as a guy who loves trades and movement and drama in the league, I, I hate seeing it because you don't want teams to get gun shy and making those trades because it doesn't work out. But you know, that's the, the sad reality is these things don't always work out. And at this point, the jury's still out on whether or not this will work out. Uh, the, the Pete's paid a price, maybe not as heavy a price as some of us might've expected to get Brendan Othman. And we don't know all the reasons for that. What we do know, and the only thing we have to go on is just two goals in, in his first nine games there and, and a very poor record from the team in that stretch as well. So obviously not getting the returns out of that trade they they had hoped. Uh, and like you said, that those tensions start to build up, boil up. There's some people not happy in that room and and you know maybe they take it out on, on the opponent in, in some ways. So we'll see how that goes but uh certainly the uh the guarantees of of a big trade putting you over the top are not being realized in Peterborough right now and on the other side of that equation when the Flint Firebirds parted ways with Brennan Othman everybody just kind of threw up their hands and said okay I guess Flint's not in it to win it this year because they were a team that many of us and I'll include me and many of us thought would be contending in the Western Conference one more time before they hit reset on their cycle and then they go and trade away a top prospect for the New York Rangers in Brennan Offman. Again, Peterborough two and seven since that trade. The Flint Firebirds are seven and two, or to put it in the new way with the four columns, seven, one and one. So they've won seven. They lost one in overtime and one in regulation. The Flint Firebirds since trading Brennan Offman away. And just to kind of finish the point, when Peterborough and Flint recently played and Offman scored a goal against his former team, everybody in the arena... And if you happen to have the CHL action pack and you saw the game, it wasn't hard to read Brennan Othman's lips as he went past the Firebirds bench and told them exactly what he thought of them after he scored the goal. So it, it's interesting. It's mirror opposite records for both Flint and Peterborough since that trade. Yeah, and I might even add in that the Saginaw Spirit trading Josh Bloom and Braden Hislop have have rolled right along since moving a couple big pieces. So I... Again, it all lends back to the theme of this year in the OHLs. I don't know what is going on. <laughs> <laughs> Anything you can possibly predict or go by past performances is just out the window. And uh, I think I think Mr. Othman may have 
word ha- word is it he had words for for Dave Cameron in the Ottawa bench after this this one as well. So tensions running high with uh, with that young man in that city right now. Okay, we'll get to more on the Saginaw Spirit, whose nine game winning streak came to an end this weekend with a bit of a thud. They lost back to back games. It's not like they were embarrassed, but they made another trade this week too, or this past week. We'll get to that in a moment. But one more of the kind of indicators that it was a wild weekend in the Ontario Hockey League. How about how about the Sudbury Wolves handing it to the Ice Dogs? We talked about Ryan Kuabara and how happy we are to see him as a coach in this league. Yeah, welcome to the OHL with your team of, I don't know, I I, I shouldn't call them misfits because that's not fair to the players, but we know how many moves the organization has made. So I think they're all just still trying to figure out what's going on. But anyway, 13 to 2. The Wolves hammer the Ice Dogs, a seven-point franchise-tying night for Quentin Musty with one goal and six assists. Yeah, well, for, first things first, I'd give Kuabara a stick and just <laughs> let him see what he can do out there. Um, but yeah, so there's a few a few points to make on a um, when you see a score like that. Um, first and foremost, what I want to uh, the point I want to make is sometimes games get out of hand and the score is not indicative of the quality of either team. We've all been there. One team basically quits, another team doesn't, and it gets ugly. So not saying Niagara is 13 to 2 bad, but there's there's clearly some issues to address there. And then just in terms of that that wildness and the the seven points from Quinton Musty and a, a lot of the big stats you're seeing on the sheet from that game is there's always been kind of two camps on this one camp says have at it roll it up it's a it's a it's junior a hockey this suck it up if you know if you don't want to get embarrassed play better step up show show you've got some heart the other camp kind of says you know there's a code dial back let's not run let's not stat pad against a team that's clearly quit I, I think there's arguments to be made on both sides, Mike. I just like to say I, I I'm a little bit in the second camp. I I've always in those situations growing up and playing, whether playing or coaching, I always had a really uneasy feeling being on either side of that ledger. Um, not so much when you're down, believe it or not. When you're down, you've kind of stopped caring for that day, and and you know whatever. Um, you don't love seeing them roll up the score, but you understand what it is. I feel more uneasy on the other side when you're, when you're just handing it to a team and, and, you know, sometimes I'd cringe when you see a teammate score or, or really pushing, pushing to, to score. So I, I don't know, it's a, certainly a wild game, Mike, but I, uh, I wouldn't want to be on either end of that, to be honest. I tend to fall in the same camp and at minimum, what I would expect to see in a game like that is obviously, should you be awarded a power play, your first power play unit's yeah. not coming out there. And I would like to see a a healthy dose of your third and fourth lines. And maybe for the last five, six minutes of a blowout game, your top lines, your top guys don't even see the ice. That, that would maybe be the way I would go if I'm working that bench. But let me ask you this question because it occurred to me as we were making our notes to prepare for today's podcast. Do you believe in the hockey gods? Do they exist? Do they watch over this game? Oh, that's a good question. I, you know, I hadn't given a whole lot of thought because my my off the cuff answer probably would have been no. But I, I, I do kind of believe in karma to some extent. So I'm not sure you can believe in one and not the other. So, so I'll, I'll, I'll give it a, a cautious yes and say that I, I believe the hockey gods may have been watching this one. So. I will also say yes. I'm not superstitious because it's bad luck to say so. But I think there is 
some entity minding over all things. We talk about the hockey gods quite a bit, obviously, because we're on the OHL podcast. So I'm going to take you back about a decade. I'm going to take you back to March the 4th, 2012. I'm going to take you back to that date in history because it was on that date in history. The Erie Otters played a game in St. Catharines against the Niagara Ice Dogs. Ramis Sadikoff is the starting goaltender for the Erie Otters. Devin Williams, their backup, is out with an injury. Sadikoff is your man. And about two minutes into the game, Sadikoff gets run. While Sadikoff is on the ice getting medical attention from the training staff, Connor Crisp, a healthy scratch, not a goaltender, a forward, a healthy scratch for the Erie Otters is sitting in the stands and his phone buzzes. Hey, Connor, can you get down to the dressing room? We need you to go in net. And so Connor Crisp, gamer that he is, went down there, squeezed his two big feet into Sadikoff's skates, put on the equipment, and went out as the Niagara Ice Dogs hung 13 goals on Connor Crisp and the Erie Otters. And here's where the karma really, or the hockey gods really might have been at play. Both Ryan Strom and Dougie Hamilton had themselves monster games. One goal, five assists for Hamilton. Five goals, one assist for Strom. Goals eight and 13 were scored by Strom. Assists eight and 13 were awarded to Dougie Hamilton. In other words, even when the game was 7-2, the Ice Dogs kept on coming and kept on coming and kept on coming until they had a 13-2 finish against Connor Crisp playing goal for the Erie Otters. If there are hockey gods, maybe they remembered that night, March the 4th, 2012. And I do, and that's a great bit of research there. I very much remember the Connor Crisp debut in net. He he got a kick out of it. He was laughing, but... uh... I've been in enough of these situations in my life to know that I swear there were guys I played with who the hardest they went all year was when we were up by six or seven and it just was a bad look. And, and, and I just personally could not, could not take it. And I have not been in the position where it's my OHL draft year. I'm trying to get noticed stat sheets matter. Maybe I need the five or six points that night. So I don't want to judge any of these, these guys based on that per se, other than in my humble opinion, it's, it's a bad look. There are things you can do. Yeah, been on that side in the coaching realm where you tell guys stop shooting, want to see the passes, want to see the dump-ins from center, some of your forwards start playing D. There's all kinds of things you can do to avoid embarrassing the opponent. They're having a rough enough night. You don't need the points. You don't need the stat sheet. Focus on the right thing. So that that that's where I'll leave it. I know a lot are going to disagree with me there, but uh, I, I always cringe when I see those scores. Just to finish up on the Connor Crisp story, you're right. He was a gamer. He took it in stride. Sherry Basson was the general manager at the time. And I remember talking to Bass at the next game in Erie, and he was just talking about how awful he felt for the kid and how awful he felt to have put him in that position, et cetera. But also at that next game in Erie, they were selling for charity. And I like this Connor Crisp number one goalie t-shirts and you could buy one. The money would go to charity. I bought one. Connor Crisp signed it for me. I don't think I have it anymore, but I remember buying it. I remember talking to Connor about his goaltending debut, unexpected as it was. And anyway, maybe the hockey gods keep an eye on things. Okay, let's shift our attention back because we we touched on it earlier with the Josh Bloom, Braden Hislop trade. 
Saginaw trades those two guys away to North Bay. Got decent players in return. Let's not yeah. knock Nick Seema and Cameron Govro at all. But many thought, okay, the spirit are signaling that we know next year is going to be a better year for us roster-wise, so we'll move our captain and a really nice defenseman, and then they just go off and, and reel off nine straight wins. No big deal for the Saginaw spirit. But also, in the past week, they made a deal with the Barry Colts grabbing Hunter Haight, who's a second rounder to the Minnesota Wild, and and maybe some are arguing playing under expectation this year. He had, what did he have, 41 points, uh, 22 and 19, I think he was last year, if I've got my numbers right. Uh, yeah, 41, 22 and 19 last year with Barry, uh, but only nine points in 20 games so far this year. He goes to Saginaw in a deal for picks. What do you think of the move? I know I saw a lot of negative feedback saying that's way too high a price to pay for a guy who's underachieving. He's taking a step back this year. I personally love it uh, for on a few reasons, uh, on a few levels. Um, first of all, it signals to me a general manager that has a plan. Uh, he's identified players he can move. He's identified players he can bring in. He's looking at their birth years. He knows where he's building towards, obviously building towards that Memorial Cup year next year. Um, Hunter hates a, a player that fits that age grant group and and also has a skill set that aligns with what he identified as a gap in his team. So from the standpoint of a GM having a plan and paying maybe a slightly higher price to get that extra year, you get him this year and next year makes tons of sense to me. And then, and then the last thing I've seen that too, in the nine points in 20 games and things have not gone swimmingly in Barry this year. They're, they're not as good as people expected. I think, that's when sometimes good GMs pounce. They they look their their faith in their coach. We talked about Chris Lazari last week. Faith in their development system to get more out of these players. And don't be shocked if Hunter Hate gets in there and suddenly starts producing or or into the new year starts producing because they know what they're getting. They're they've scouted this player for years. They know where it fits in the lineup. And don't be shocked at all if this ends up becoming a coup for the Saginaw Spirit. So uh, to make a long story short, I really like the move, Mike. Not sure what you thought of it. So I ran into Dave Drinkle at the Kitchener Memorial Auditorium over the weekend. I asked him about it. Uh, he just, along the lines of what you're talking about, Dan, just said, yeah, we thought maybe the change of scenery would be beneficial to the kid. And of course, what does he do in his first game in Saginaw? He scores. So Hunter Haight now has played two games with the spirit he's already got four points a goal and three assists which is about half of the nine points he had in 20 games so far with barry you talk about the plan and i'll, I'll add this i'm a little bit less bullish this week than i was last week on the saginaw spirit and how their roster aligns for next year i still think and i was so bullish on it then because They've added their mix, Saginaw has, along with Kingston, Niagara, Sault Ste. Marie, to the 2024 Memorial Cup bidding process. I still think Saginaw sets up with the best roster of those four, but I'm less I'm less bullish this week just because I realized, I was thinking about today, actually, where are they without Pavel Minchikov? Like, yeah. honest to good, I, I know, Michael Misa is a year older, and he's already showing us why he's an exceptional player. And there are lots of other nice pieces, including now Hunter Haight. But Pavel Minshikov is like on another level. It's it's Planet Pavel, and the rest of us are just along for the ride this year. Yeah, and that's that's the the million dollar question is is what does that lineup look like without him? And maybe we'll get a little taste of it over the World Junior stretch, and we'll see. But you have a, it's it's not necessarily the same as a Brendan Othman, where you have a, a phenomenal elite 
scoring player and you move them from the lineup and you see what you got. This is a quarterback, the the play driver from the back end, all three zones uh, really can influence a game with the number of minutes he logs. So that, that is the only factor giving me pause. And I'm sure giving everyone pause is, is when you lose a chip that valuable heading into the air, what, what do you get? So, um, but you know, yeah, it's junior hockey. You lose, you lose players every year and you lose some of your best players every year. So I think Saginaw is taking the steps they feel they need to take to, to ensure they've still got a competitive team next year. Final point on the price for Hunter Hate, because you mentioned that there were some critics out saying, boy, that's pretty steep. Five picks, three seconds, two thirds, go to Barry to get Hate. However, Josh Bloom, Braden Hislop, and a sixth to North Bay for Govro and Seema that we already talked about, and five picks, two seconds, and three thirds. So does that make the price for hate seem a little less steep to you? Yeah, you added an extra second in there, but basically you got five picks for one guy, you sent five picks out for another. Yeah, and I was I, I don't know how you want to apply the calculus to what the price is for a year, but a team like North Bay paying that price for what's it going to be four four months of each player. So you can you can break down the price that way, whereas Saginaw is paying that price for a season and a half. So so what is it? A couple seconds in a third for next year and a second, a third for this year, or however you want to break that down. But I think it's a huge factor. You're getting that much more service time out of the player. So obviously the price should jump significantly in my mind, just the way I do the simple math there. Um, but I, I, I don't know how everyone else does that calculus. So to me that the price for Hunter hate was certainly fair. Just before we get on to our prospects of the week uh, on the trade market itself, it, Speaking of things that we just can't figure out, it's just different this year, right? We, we mentioned earlier, like nobody seems to know what's going on in the Ontario Hockey League this year. Everything we thought would happen is not necessarily happening. And I would add to that how active the trade market has been so early. Now we're getting into kind of crunch time, right? We're about a month away from the deadline. There's going to be the World Junior Championships, roster freezes. But I'm, I'm wondering, like we've talked in previous pods about Shane Wright, who everybody expects to be coming back to this league and then moved by Kingston. Beyond that, like where are the big pieces that are going to start shifting and who's going to be stepping up? Like I, I just find it really interesting how many big names, right? Offman, a team captain in Bloom, et cetera. Uh, Sasha Pastajov, we should give him a shout out, by the way, four points on the weekend and a win for Sarnia, uh, his biggest output since being traded from Guelph. But there have been some big names already moved this year. Yeah, there have been. And, and, you know, every passing week, I keep thinking we're going to get more clarity on the buyers and sellers and, and I still don't have it. I don't know if you do, but so I, I don't know what's yet to come. I still expect some more moves. I just, I, I'm not sure whether it's starting to look a little bit like a buyer's market, just based on some of the prices we're seeing and some of the uncertainty. So if that's the case, you might have some GMs rethinking the pieces they're going to move and, you can probably guess some of the names and teams that are on the bubble right now. I've heard some, some whispers about does Kitchener sell? Does they saw Guelph do it successfully and, and really won some games after moving past a job. So it's not necessarily a death sentence to write this year off by doing that. I just, it's, it's hard to tell right now who's going to move whom because the prices don't seem elaborate and we don't know. We don't have a lot of clarity on who the real contenders are yet. Yeah, it's hard to say that the Storm have written off the season after the success they had after getting Max Nemesnikov, but it's interesting. And 
if I'm going to give a shout out to Pass the Joff, which I did a moment ago, I'd also like to give one to Ty Voigt. Just another whole home yeah. weekend for Voigt, right? Three multi-point games, three points, three points, two points. He is now 11 points clear of Logan Morrison for the OHL lead in points and 12 points ahead of his teammate, Sasha Pass the Joff. But I know we've said it before. If you had Ty Voigt leading the league in scoring one third of the way through the season, you're a liar. Nobody saw, I don't think anybody <laughs> saw this. They may be the Voigt family, but <laughs> is, is this one of these things where I can like put white out over my predictions and write, write it in? Like <laughs> <laughs> only so... if I could do the same. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I, the only thing I would say, like uh, the U uh, S world junior camp invites went out and Ty Voigt not on there. And you got, you gotta, you gotta, I, I don't know. I don't know how they make their decisions. There's often a lot of politics involved with, with where they play. Um, but I got to question that you don't often see a player that far ahead in the league in point scoring and not even get an invite. So, um, yeah, that's some, some curious, uh, decisions going on around the season that kid's having. Yeah, no question. He's in a border city too. I know the politics are there, but geez, that's, that's an oversight from where I'm sitting for sure. Okay. Let's get to our, uh, prospects of the week before we wrap this one up, who you got for us this week, Dansky. Well, I, I feel like I might be borrowing a little bit from you here uh, from a player you referenced early in the year, but I, a guy that I've been liking that I have to go to for my prospect of the week this, this week is Matthew Soto on Kingston. And just a guy I've been liking all year. He's a, he's, he's putting up points. He's the Kingston team is, is humming along at 500, probably better than people expected. Not nothing glorious, but uh, here you have a guy that is constantly producing right around a point of game clip and, about a week away from not even being eligible for this NHL draft. So he's a younger guy, smaller guy, um, but is just resolute about making a difference this year. And, and part of the reason why that Kingston team is a little bit better than they uh, were expected to be. So, so my guy is uh, Matthew Soto this week, Mike, hopefully I, I didn't steal too much of your thunder from earlier. No, Hey, not at all. Listen, if it's the prospect of the week in your eyes, it's the prospect of the week. And, I feel like when I make mine, I have to qualify again, just to remind you. That's not as though we're saying these guys are the top of the OHL depth chart. These are just players that are eligible for the NHL draft next June. And that player that stood out to us most this week, I didn't even scratch the surface last week and picked Coldy Barlow, who's still tearing it up, by the way. <laughs> it would have been equally easy, and I was tempted to go with Quentin Musty after, obviously, his performance just yesterday or just this Sunday in a route of the Niagara Ice Dogs, but I decided I'd go a little bit more below the radar here. Again, not a guy that I expect to go high rounds. He's going to be mid to late if he goes at all. I think he'll go based on where he plays, but my prospect of the week is Denver Barkey, of uh -huh. the London Knights. Now you talk about Soto being maybe on the smaller size. So is Denver Barkey. He's not the best skater, but here's why he has intrigued me. And I'm going to put in this season because we're at the third mark. We've, we've played a third of the season now in the OHL. And when you have the consistency that Barkey has shown, I think we can start calling it consistency, 25 points in 25 games. And I looked a little bit more into those numbers, only seven of the 25 on the power play. So that's telling me he's getting it done at even strength, even for a guy that's smaller and doesn't skate the strongest. So my prospect of the week this week, Denver Barkey of the London Knights. Yeah. And I, and I think you, you talk about him being a depth little under the radar, but I think he's, 
becoming a bigger blip on that radar screen right now, just based on London's on a phenomenal run. And a lot of that is being driven through Denver Barkey and he and Easton Cowan have combined for a lot of big goals recently, both draft eligible players. Uh, Barkey just seems to get it done. And, and he would have been on my radar, Mike, except I cannot pick a third London night in, in one year. That just, it, you know, I'd be uh, disbarred from Kitchener forever. So, but yeah, absolutely solid pick. I knew it was safe to go London's way after you already did <laughs> Easton Cowan and Oliver Bonk. But your point's well taken too on being with that Knights team. It's hard to not get noticed, right? Because yeah. the scouts love it. The organization develops well. And obviously the Hunter brothers have their share of connection. So yeah, I just a guy that's just been consistent. 25 points in 25 games, like I said, and that's why we uh, give him the nod on my end anyway as the prospect of the week this week. So we got Soto over there, Barky over here. And hey, by the way, you mentioned the London Knights rolling along. Uh, nine? Nine straight wins? I think what they're up to. And yeah, yeah. eight or nine. Eight. Yeah. I think it's yeah. eight. I, think it's eight. So I was trying, trying to yeah. remember. But anyway, yeah. uh, at the time of, of this recording, uh, back in first place in the Midwest Division, they were there for a day last week and then Owen Sound picked up another win and got back in front of them but at this point they started the season 1 4 and 1 they are 16 and 3 since then including the eight game winning streak they're currently on again make it make sense cuz i've i heard people predicting london as a fourth place finisher in the midwest this year behind Owen Sound Guelph and Kitchener well that's not the way it's going right now <laughs> no and this is and this is why i think fans in certain markets get antsy because they see that kind of development curve. And, and I know people like to say, well, London throws money around and they cheat and this and that, and all this conjecture you hear about London. Bottom line is they, they did not have a potent team on paper coming into this season. They have not brought in anyone under shady circumstances. They've worked with what they've got and they're improving and they're improving rapidly. And these players are, leaping up NHL draft list. So, so yeah, you can't do anything other than tip your cap to that, that franchise and the hunters. You just used the word antsy to describe some fan bases. I can tell you right now, as I shamelessly use this as a segue to tee up Friday's guest for the feature interview on the OHL podcast, a fan base that was not antsy for one minute in the early 1990s was the Sault Ste. Marie Greyhounds fan base, because all they did under Ted Nolan at that time was win. And you know, Dan, as well as I do, that junior hockey goes in cycles, right? So if you are fortunate enough to be a part of a team that will get you to a championship once in your four or five year junior career, you've probably done pretty well, right? I'd say. <laughs> well, on Friday, <laughs> we get to meet a guy that was a three-time champion, including one Memorial Cup, a member of those memorable Greyhounds teams of the early 1990s. And oh, his son might have just been involved in that Ottawa-Peterborough game where the goaltenders dropped him on the weekend. So there's, uh, if you can't figure this one out yet, just turn in your OHL card. But that will be our featured <laughs> guest on the OHL podcast on Friday when you will get your next episode. That is Dan Mahar. Find him on Twitter, at Tim Wallach, just like the former Montreal Expo. My name is Mike Farwell on Twitter, at Farwell underscore OHL. And send us an email anytime, ohlpodcast at rogers.com. Do. 
did, Will, the Story of People podcast is now available on the Crier Media Network. The first five episodes are here and feature some incredible guests that fit into one or all three of those categories. Ready? Tara Sloan from the San Jose Sharks, Undercurrent Podcast at NBC Sports. Marianne Iveson from Iveson Voice and the Let's Take This Outside podcast to talk about the world of outdoors as well as voiceover land. Ariana Hunsicker, future Canadian Paralympic swimmer, already winning tons of awards for this country. Scott McGregor from the Hot Wallet podcast to dumb down the world of crypto, Bitcoin, and NFTs so you don't have to. And Jackie Holowaty from Climate Pledge Arena in Seattle, Washington, the first net zero carbon certified arena on the planet. Wherever you get your pods, wherever you watch your pods, and on the Crier Media Network. Another Sound Off Media Company podcast.